Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast, an audio experience where we don't just talk about it, we live it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast. My name is Andrew Roberts. I'm here with my co-host. Matt Taifke. That's right. And today we have a special guest we're really excited to interview. Somebody that we haven't had in this industry before, our good friend, Mr. Sam Nakan. Sam, welcome hey, to the I'm podcast. Hey, I'm really excited to be here, uh, Andrew and Matt, and uh, the young, wild, and financially free, baby. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's right. Well, I got wild. Okay. I'd like to be a little bit freer financially, but you hey, know, I'm young that's enough. That's the goal for everybody. Yeah. It's all good. It's yeah. all good. So, so in today's podcast, uh, what I want to do is I kind of want to dive into your story and see how you got to where you are today as an entrepreneur, and then I really want to dive into what you do which is credit repair, um, because there's a lot that can go into that, a, a lot of oh, yeah. uh, misconceptions, um, and so I kind of want to dive into that. But first, let's start. Where are you from? Well, originally, I am from South Louisiana, born in Lafayette. Mm-hmm. I consider New Orleans my hometown. Oh, cool. Yeah. I so. hear a little bit of the accent. So. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I've tried to weed it out since 97, but you know, <laughs> just, it, it, everybody loves it. So. Sure, yeah. yeah. So... Um, why did you, at what age did you leave uh, Louisiana? I was about 20 years old when okay. I left. Got it. So, it's 97. Gotcha. So, after high school, did you, were you going to college? What was I went the, to LSU. All right. Yep. Go yeah. Tigers. Yeah, yeah. Go nice. Tigers. That's awesome. Yeah. And what was, the, what were you uh, going to school for? What was the goal? Business administration and uh, computer information systems at the time. Okay. Uh, it was called BCIS, you know, mm-hmm. Business Computer Information Systems. And uh, th- those are the things that I wanted to do at the time. And uh, so I moved to Dallas and I started working for a software company. Uh, at the time, it was the seventh largest software company in the nation or in the world, actually, called uh, Network Associates. You guys probably recognize them more as McAfee Antivirus. Yeah. So technology is what drew me to Dallas. And that's when I started working in that industry. So. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, are you an only child? I'm the youngest of four. Wow. Yeah. I'm the youngest of five. Yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. That's awesome. Everybody still calls you the baby? Uh, yeah, yeah, for the most part. <laughs> when it's to their advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <For sure. laughs> That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Louisiana to Texas was a, a big jump. Sure, yeah, I can imagine. A hopscotch and a... <laughs> jump off the across the uh, the the swamp. Right. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, how was that transition going to Dallas? Because the <laughs> culture in Dallas is so much different. Yeah. than Louisiana. You know, on like Back to the Future, you know, when you see like Doc get Marty McFly in the yeah. uh, time machine, it felt a little bit like really fast okay. compared to the slow uh, laissez-faire as we say in Louisiana attitude of Louisiana so Dallas was like warp speed man right yeah so it was fast it was too much it was, it was a lot to handle okay Whew. yeah and so how long were you in that job when you first got to Dallas I did that for approximately three years okay and um, ended did, up I ended up managing a one of their number one territories, uh, Silicon Valley is what we all know it as, is Santa Clara, California. And so uh, I did that for a minute, and then uh, the dot-com bus happened. Sure. And so I uh, switched to the finance industry right around 2000-ish. Ish. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah. And how, how did you, I mean, what led you to dive into the finance industry? Uh, food on the table. Okay. 
<laughs> now, uh, you know, trying to survive. Sure. I had to do something different. You know, dot com, there was no jobs anymore and, and lim- limited jobs, uh, especially for younger professionals in that industry. It was harder to get on with a, a company. And uh, it was the equivalent of what happened to the financial industry in 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was the dot com version, the bubble burst, you know. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, 100%. So. Were you like looking for a new industry and then you specifically picked? that world or did an opportunity just come man i think it was just out of necessity you know uh you know it was just i had to find something that was hiring at the time that's Mm -hmm. the truth you know right yeah i wasn't i wouldn't say i was passionate about it at the time i was passionate about technology that's what i was passionate about doing and and at the same time i always want to help others and uh it's always been a passion of mine to use technology to help others that's kind of what i'm doing now but to get into the financial industry was a uh, it was a necessity i actually got into loss mitigation and what they call reo asset management uh, with a company you guys know of as syntex home equity which changed to nation's store uh lending Uh and then now it's called uh mr good something i don't know I don't know who you, if you've ever heard of this. I'm not sure. So, yeah, it's a pretty big lender, and I worked in the REO asset management team where we had about 80 foreclosures in the state of Tennessee, and I was one of the I was the person in charge of that, and I would contact realtors uh-huh. and get them to rehab or have the homes, do BPOs, sure. you know, how to you know resell the property at a bigger win for the bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of my job with, with how I got into lending. And then from there I went into lending with that company. Oh wow. That's yeah. interesting. So you said you were passionate about technology. Mm-hmm. Is that how it was all growing up or is it just like when you went to college you kind of I was always into tech stuff, you know, video games, Nintendo. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a chasm there in case y'all don't know where like they had a Tory, okay? Yeah. And then from a Tory it was like dead. It was like a nothing. Right. And then Nintendo hit. Yeah. The first one, the one that you got to flip and you got to blow in there and blow yeah, in the cork. That one. When that one hit, brother, it was game on, man. <laughs> you know, I don't know, dude. Like uh, Ikari Warrior and Legend of Zelda and Super Mario Brothers. These were the these remember, were the games. I remember playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on that. Yeah, and you know, that's probably some, you know, third gen type stuff, you know. <laughs> that, that ain't you no know, Legend of Zelda. And, yeah. You know, Akari Warriors was like these two little guys with two little dots. And, sure. You know, they had this, the cheat codes that you kind of find out on accident. You know, yeah. like, oh, my God, if I press this button. But right. that was the deal. Technology was the thing. And okay. it was like, you know, I always dreamed of being able to have a – I always tell my brother, like, hey, we're going to be able to watch TV in our hand one day. And, and like, he was like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, right. you know, in the Sears Roebuck catalog, Sears had a catalog. They had this TV that was about yay big. And uh-huh. it looked, it's like a briefcase. So like a brick, sure. you know, and that was the equivalent of a TV. Then I was like, man, we're gonna have one in our hand, and and then you know now we have these iPhones right, and now stuff. We have iPhones, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm 41, you know, not that old. Nah, I don't yeah. like that. Old enough, you know. <laughs> so uh, you know that was what I what I did, and I wanted to do technology, and that was exciting, and that was where, you know, things were making the biggest advancements, uh, and and the money was there, and uh, that seemed to be like the career path, and sure, you know, uh, finance actually came in as a necessity, and and uh, I begrudged gradually went into that. Yeah. That's the truth. Is the dot com bus the same thing as Y2K or are those two different things? 
Uh, you know, Y2K was a myth of like what was going to happen to the right. computer systems when they were the coded. Yeah, when they were coded. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, but that was uh, from 1999 to 2000. Okay. You know, uh, right, right there was the Y2K scare where the, they were scared that the way computers were, the internal clocking computers and how they were programmed weren't going to be able to adapt, and so they had to go to all the mainframe systems and reprogram them, and it all was fine. You know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I just remember my mom going out to the store and buying like <laughs> a lot of disaster. Water. Oh yeah. Yeah, Disaster sure. uh, supplies. Let me ask you on you know a bubble type yeah. environment. Yeah. When you were in that world, did you think like this is weird? Like was business so good? So many calls. You're like, this isn't normal. Or were you just like, hey, it is what it is? And then all of a sudden, rug got pulled out from under you one day. I think it's all hard for us to you know step outside the car when it's going 65 miles an hour. Yeah. Right? So at the end of the day, none of us really ever know. 100% for sure if it's going to burst or if we're in a bubble. We're just like, wow, things are going really well, and I'm that good. Sure. But really, we're not all that good. Right. You know, sometimes we're fortunate and blessed to be in a, in a good spot in our industries, and it's what we do with that momentum uh, and how we prepare for you know the bubbles and the, the, the dips and the troughs and the economy. And mm -hmm. Those are really, really important things that we all have to look to the future for mm -hmm. and some people might say that's like a pessimistic approach but at the end of the day it's reality you know mm -hmm. the way our economy works is it it corrects it's self-correcting right. and uh, sometimes it corrects hard yeah in 08 you know <laughs> 2008 so mm -hmm. uh and so you know i enjoyed finance actually and once i actually got into that i realized that like wow there's a purpose there that goes deeper than just technology stuff and computers and seeing all these foreclosures happen uh, and how people were, you know, losing, you know, their homes and how the bank would rehab them. And I was in charge of that. And then I got into lending and it was, it was fun. Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoyed helping people get in their homes. I did that for about, what, a dozen years. Okay. So. That's awesome. So. How did that transition go uh, into lending? Well, the the bank would let you be a loan officer if you asked. You know, Syntex would let you train you as a loan officer because what they wanted to do at Syntex was extract maximum value out of their bank-owned, or, or as we call it, REO, real estate-owned properties. The way they would do that is they wanted to rehab the property. They wanted the realtor to fit all the bill. So the realtor would have to literally pay for all the rehab and submit a uh, invoices and receipts to the bank. The bank would reimburse them and let them list it. To make the commission, mm -hmm. and this is uh, this is all available on OreoBroker.net. Still a very widely used system for this type of business. Mm -hmm. That's a little golden nugget uh, right there, OreoBroker.net. And so many banks use that, and you can become gold certified, you know, Oreo realtors and stuff. So all across the nation. So they wanted to make the most amount of money. So the way they would do that is they wanted to resell and, and hold the paper on it. Okay. So the loan officer would would do it with Syntex Home Equity, and then they would have the paper and they. They would, you know, resell the the home at like I think they were averaging like seventy five percent of the value of the home. Where other lenders, like maybe Countrywide at the time, you know, Countrywide was a big player in the 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 bubble burst financial. Countrywide was only doing like in the forties. 40% mm -hmm. of the value of the home. Okay. So, you know, that's like music to your ears to investors. Like, man, I can get a home for like 40%. Right, You'd go to yeah. Countrywide, you wouldn't go to Syntex. Syntex was getting 78%. Mm -hmm. They were proud of that mm -hmm. because of the work they put into the rehabbing of the home. And not only would they get higher, but they would finance the deal too. Oh, wow. So, you know, they were trying to, you know, not lose. So sure. when you said the realtor would put the money in to fix it up, and then they'd sell it to get the commission. So do they just get a return on the money they invested? 
they would fit the whole bill. Oh, wow. So one of the major struggles for me as an Oreo asset manager for Syntex was to tell the realtors, hey, listen, they're going to pay your, they're going to pay it. You know, I didn't even know what a realtor really did in terms of that. My dad was, you know, 1977 realtor of the year in Louisiana, but that's all I knew about real wow. estate. But, you know, I mean, I didn't know what realtors really sure. could or couldn't do and all this stuff. And so... They were they would sweat a lot and be like, Hey, I did all these things and you know, the bank hasn't paid me back and the bank was bossy. Sometimes they'd just pull the listing from the agent and say, You're not trying hard enough to sell it. Oh wow. And they would pay the they obviously they'd pay the Well you put the, it they, they, that's all the realtor would get. <laughs> so the realtor would lose all their time. They'd just get reimbursed and then they'd pull the listing from the realtor. Yikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I've, never, I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but the real good ones, uh, the real good realtors, uh, had a whole portfolio of Oreo rehabbed homes, mm -hmm. and they would generate obviously leads, you know, mm -hmm. to, to get buyer leads and, and build their name. Sure. So yeah. I didn't know what it all meant at the time, but it makes a lot more sense now. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Sure, always. So. So with all these foreclosures that you were saying, what was the reason for the majority of these foreclosures? And were you just working in? Dallas still, or what was your... I was in Dallas. Okay. Uh, I forgot what road it was off of. I think it was Royce Lane off of 75. Mm -hmm. Major road, old highway in Dallas, you know, Highway 75, and I think it was Royce Lane is the where the headquarters was. Okay. But, I mean, the major, the reasons for foreclosure, we didn't know, but, you know, you could watch, you know, uh, uh, what is it, the, the big short, you know? Right. You, know, you could probably get an idea right. what yeah. some of them, the drastic reasons why. Sure. I think what was most crazy was what they did with the, the, uh, the homes when they went repossession mm -hmm. you know i'll tell you some crazy stories they would in, in the worst scenario yeah i mean it. i don't know this is a bad story but you know maybe someone will listen they'd take an animal like a horse oh and they would leave it in the living room oh and then they would lock the doors and leave who the owners the previous owners yeah oh. that's terrible yeah, this is what they would do. Yeah, and they would rub things all over the wall, you know. What, pur what purpose? Just to get back to, Just to, get the, back bank? to the bank? Yeah, also uh, quick creep and then flush. Oh, man. That's hardcore. That'll ruin a home real quick. Yeah. Crazy stuff, right? Sure. So I yeah. saw this stuff, and I'm like way younger than I am now, and I was like, man, I got to get out of this. Yeah. I'm going to do some loans. Yeah. I'm going to go just do the loans for the home. I was tired of these kind of stories. Right, yeah. You know, like seeing people's, I guess seeing the aftermath of the uh, foreclosure to the home, you know, uh -huh. and the uh, consumer blaming it on the bank, you know. Sure, you right. Know, that's, it's wild. So anyway, it was a lesson, and uh, it helped me appreciate helping people and getting in their homes. And I think that's why as a loan officer, I always was more risk averse to doing some of those riskier loans for people that didn't really qualify. Uh -huh. So some of those riskier loans were your stated income verified asset or SIVA or your no income, no asset, which is uh, NINA is what they called it at the time. These were loans where if you had a credit score, you could just get any home you wanted. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter if you were a teacher, you could buy the $500,000 home. Sure. As a single teacher, right? It would just let you buy it. It was wild at the time, so, right? I'm, I'm fascinated by that idea because <laughs> I, I lean towards like the individual, you know, their own personal rights. And so, you know, I'm open to all ideas on this. But to me, it's like if if you personally want to go take out a loan, then that's on you, right? So, do you look at it like, hey, the banks shouldn't have been able to do that, or this is the individual's responsibility for putting themselves in that situation? And it's, it's, you know, that was their risk. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, well, if you look at what the government said, it was uh, not the bank's fault and it wasn't the consumer's fault. It was the mortgage professional's fault and uh, their greedy habits of, uh, of commissions. That's what they blamed it on. Sure. The mortgage loan officers. Mm -hmm. 
So the consumer took no blame. But what's your and the bank took no blame. Mm-hmm. What's your personal view? Like, is do you do you fault the person? You know, if, if you're going to go in and take out a loan and have and say, hey, give me this loan. You know, no income, no credit. I want five hundred thousand dollars. You have to have some personal responsibility for for trying to get that loan, right? I think it's a it, you know the people lending the money have have all the. I think there's a lot of handcuffs and a lot of. Uh, red tape on giving people money for homes right. and I think that there is a happy medium there on a case-by-case basis if the bank wants to lend money and take a certain risk on a consumer they should be allowed to do that more freely right. uh, and and so it's a little bit of what you're saying but with a measure of you know uh, you know don't take advantage of somebody just being a good steward right. because you can't have a whole I mean you're gonna have an economy uh, go like it happened again if you if you do what happened? I mean, that's that's what happened in the, the day. Right. right. Yeah. You know. So <laughs> I mean, well, from the consumer's so. perspective, my little opinion on just from the consumer's perspective is that like, if everybody's doing like, if your neighbors, your friends, your brothers, your family, everybody's getting these loans. Right. So it's like, well, then it must be it must be cool. It must be good, right? I don't really <laughs> need to do my due diligence. I'm not an expert in real estate as the consumer, yeah. and everybody's buying homes. It's the American dream to buy a home. Yeah. Then a good point. let's do it. Yeah. And so, I don't necessarily blame. I know what you're saying. The consumer. Yeah. No. Yeah. At the end of the That's day, man. I, jump off the bridge. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I do. Yeah. I would jump off the bridge, dude. <laughs> I think. I think that you know, it's just gotta be a happy medium. Right. There's gotta be some checks and balances there. Yeah. Otherwise, you you get a huge bubble built up, and it's gonna pop when things don't get paid. Sure. And, and so, uh, and that affects everyone. Yeah. Right. And then that's that's the wild thing, you know, is that. Um, None of us is really autonomous at the end of the day if the, if we don't have our investments and if we don't have an insulation of investments to protect our incomes and yeah. our business structure. Yeah. So, you know, um, I think I learned a lot with lending. I think I originated about 1,200 to four or 500 loans mm-hmm. in the time, and I looked at that many more credit reports. Wow. And so lots of different situations, FHA, VA, jumbo, conventional, whatever it was, mm-hmm. I got a chance to take a peek at it. I was a broker at the time, and it was very common for a really good broker to work with up to 200 investors, which are really your banks that you can choose to right. do the deal through. Sure. And so um, now, out of that 200, we worked with like maybe 18 to 20 that cater to specific products, right? You know? Mm-hmm. But I think the way things are done now is a lot better because I'll tell you why. It used to be commonplace where when I'd go up against a competitor, I would have a six and a half rate or a six percent rate. The competitor would say they had a 5.5 that didn't exist anywhere in any advertisement even. And they could fool a person into taking their good faith estimate and at closing the deal would go to 6.99 and there was no penalty to the loan officer and the hmm. the, the consumer could have sold their home right. their previous home and that that deal would have closed in the morning uh-huh. and then now the, this this current purchase is contingent on that funding and closing and then now they're sitting at the closing table with a one and a half percent higher rate and they don't have a choice yeah so right or a refi now they lock it in a lot earlier well there's just there's different uh there's time frames hard and fast you know rules Mm -hmm. you know disclosure within you know three business days stuff like that so i've got this thing i say and it's uh from personal experience is that never trust a lender (laughs) and like I've, i've had tons of you know people friends myself like Lenders say, yeah, I can do it. I can get it done. And then, like, you know, last minute, you need this. This happened to you yeah, on a property. Several times. So it's not necessarily just in general. But, like, I have a couple good lenders. But I think it's an important lesson that you know, basically what you're saying is 
there's people that are good at it and people that aren't and like they're I think it in the lending world and you correct me if I'm wrong but there's you ask for certain documents and you you, you think you can get it done and then you find things out along the process mm-hmm. like oh I didn't I didn't know you had this or this and then it changes the whole situation mm-hmm. steps that's what we call that in the lending business there's some new stipulations on the loan right. there's a lot of people's philosophy on how they do lending and one of the things about lending is this you know if you go to a brick and mortar lender like Wells Fargo, Bank of America, whatever, and you can experience two things, a cup of water and heating, ventilation, air conditioning, you're probably going to be sitting for a while waiting for that loan to close and looking at teaser rates, unless you're just a perfect A++ credit. Everybody else, if they have just something a little bit differently and they want something a little bit different, right, whether it be the property or their income or their their spousal income with their partner or spouse, then you got to go to the private lending sector. And this is where the animal it gets kind of hairy. That means that they're typically on 100% commission. And there's different philosophies on how to get loans. There's people that throw spaghetti on the wall and are happy with those certain spaghettis stuck on the wall that close. Well, right. the way I looked at it, I had about five or less deals that didn't close in my career that these people were crying on the phone and I had made an error you know I was younger and so I don't I have a very low I don't like that you know I have a very low taste for the mistakes and so there's other loan people that it's either approved or denied and it's just they're just going to work and they're clocking in and clocking out right you know kind of like that Looney Tunes episode where you see the coyote Wiley Coyote and the sheepdog and they they clock in clock out and then they're trying to get sheep Mm -hmm. unfortunately some of these lenders you know, they uh, make it very impersonal. Right. And it's really about people's lives, right? Yeah. And there's kids involved. I mean, I have a five-year-old and one on the way. I mean, you have, you know, yeah. a little one. And so, I mean, I just, there's just certain people and you just got to know who you're dealing with. Right, that's a good point. You know, it's fascinating how easy it is to get a loan license or a real estate license. And these are, these are licenses where you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, man. That that's it just to me it seems like there should be a lot more to it. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, and I don't want to correct you or anything, but the loan officer license is a seventy-eight percent failure rate. Really? Oh. And there's so many more stipulations. It used to be. So you bring up a great point. It used to be, man, you just you sent your loan officer and you say, hey, go take the test next week. You failed it. Go go the next week. Go the next week, and they end up passing after five times. Now, if you fail it, you have thirty days to wait till the next test. Uh-huh. You fail that one. You have to wait, um, that's the second time, six months. You fail it a third time, you got to wait a whole year. Oh, wow. Now, what does that do? Well, that person better be really passionate about being a loan officer. <laughs> yeah. And they want—they have to do their, they have to wait so long. Now there's no yeah. plan. There's 78% failure rating. So the way to get a loan officer license now compared to what it used to be right. with all the, litig- all the uh, litigation and, and just the way the government's cracked down, that I think has been better for the consumer That's because great. now you have better professionals that are lending, in my opinion. Sure, you know, I didn't know that. that's a good point. Now, real, real estate, estate agents yeah. not quite the same, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's a, it's still lax. It's still kind of you know loosey goosey. And I'll tell you what, you know, I have a question for you guys. What do y'all think about open door? You know, mm. what do you think yeah. about? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot there's of things a, some wild stuff in there, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think so. Uh, I'm not a. I do like the concept of it. Yeah. I'm not a licensed realtor, so that's yeah. why I like it. But um, I don't like that they take so much. They take way more than they say they're going to. Yeah, y'all, y'all know that y'all seen, y'all heard about the rates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What have y'all heard? That it's like 
Up to like ten percent commission. I've heard like yeah, eight to thirteen percent. Yeah. Uh, my buddy's selling a house right now. I was gonna list his house, and it was in Hutto, and he signed on to Redfin <laughs> and got an offer, and it was a pretty good offer. Like I'm like, whoa. Yeah. They're closing in ten days, and it's probably close to what we would have got. Yeah. So, yes, I understand. So Redfin and Open Door have combined, and then. They have a deal together. They're working together, yeah. Oh, wow. And there's, you know, Amazon today announced that they're getting in the real estate. Wow, they did? Yeah. Oh, that's so so wild, dude. Yeah. Theology. um, I just think the realtor's life is about to get, uh, you know. It's going to be, it's tough. Yeah, for sure. I think that, one, I just think that the world is changing. I think that the real estate industry is changing and people are pushing against that when, I mean, if people like, I mean, 10 years ago, people were like, no, I don't want like an iPhone. That's. That's bad. It's changing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody has an iPhone now. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I what I what I hear still today is from the experienced realtor saying, "Oh, they tried this then, and they tried this then, and we're still here." Yeah. There's a difference though now. Never in human history has there been this thing right here. Right. <laughs> and the adaptable uh, people adapting to it, y'all age, you know, millennials. Mm-hmm. This is a normal thing. They want a less personal relationship that is clicked by. Right. And so Absolutely. Open Door is using that to their advantage. I think it's great. And it is. I love it. It's going to change the landscape of realtors. I think realtors are going to have to be that much better. That, that's, that much that's more right. consultative. It's like it weeds out, you know, there's 13,000 realtors in Austin. Mm. Um, and so it, to me, it weeds out the people that aren't that serious. Mm-hmm. If you know what you're doing and you're, and you're entrepreneurial, it just. It just makes it, you know, a little bit more challenging, mm-hmm. but you still, the entrepreneur always finds a way to succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even just a simple example as being a broker, I'm a broker. And when I started, I gave my broker a 50-50 commission, right? And then the next year I was 60-40 and then mm-hmm. 70-30. Nowadays, most realtors start off at 80-20 <laughs> yeah, yeah. or $100 a month, keep yeah. 100% of your commission. Yeah, things have changed. And so by doing that... Your broker's not that committed to you. Like mm-hmm. he's not going to want to, you know, mentor you and drive mm-hmm. you around and teach you. So that's a that, to me that's a huge problem within this. So the chasm between skilled and unskilled is even greater now. You know, absolutely. Yeah. So I feel like it's going to really basically weed out, like you said, weed out the people who are serious about it and who aren't, and it's going to make a huge difference to the people who are great realtors, great agents. Right. They're going to rise to the top. Mm-hmm. Or you know. Maybe the realtor goes out altogether. I don't know. And so you have to become more of an investor and, and find your own deals. Like, Ooh, the realtor's just gone? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's possible. You know, that's, Maybe, what, that's what yeah. these companies are trying to do. You, that's I, what I'm Open sure, Door is. That's what they're trying to do. Sure I mean, you're right door, on the money there. That's yeah. You're right on the money. He's talking about, let's, how do we get rid of them? Right. You know, that's the oh, yeah. They're, they have the plans in place. Yeah. The wheels the wheels and they moving. they got big money. And, now and the best thing about their plan is you got all the realtors thinking that nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. It's like a sneak attack. It is. Cool. Yeah. I'm, all, I'm all about You know, I mean, the thing is, though, is I will say that really, real knows real. We all heard that. Real people know real people. So, you know, you can tell a really skilled person from a not skilled person. Sure. And when people are, are dealing with that huge, largest single transaction in their life, they want to have the confidence of a handhold person a lot of times. Yeah. And so, um, I think. The open door concept is really good when people are like, I got to get rid of this home. Right. <laughs> you know, get out of this home or yeah. let's move on. I just want to do this. And then they got to go about their work. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's making wholesalers, you know about wholesaling? Uh, you know, I've, edu- just, educate me on that. I've heard a lot, a little a lot, bit about it. A lot it. of people doing it. And, yeah. Um, it's a whole business where people are going and marketing like crazy mailers, cold calls, and you're going after motivated seller lists. Mm-hmm. And they basically put it under contract and then assign it to somebody else. So you, 
never really pay any money, maybe you know, $100 earnest money, buy it for 120, hey, mm-hmm. Andrew, you wanna buy this for 140, then mm-hmm. I'm gonna buy 20 grand. Mm-hmm. And so open door and all these things are where people can just go online and get it mm-hmm. off real quick. So that makes it super hard for wholesalers. And and these guys, some of these wholesalers are making a ton of money. Mm-hmm. The thing that's 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 gonna that has caused the the uh, the shift is the funding that these tech companies have. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about it that the real estate industry really can't fathom in my mind because there's so much funding. Mm-hmm. There's a mountain of money compared to this little old bitty molehill that these even the largest real estate companies can right. even have. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, a billion dollar tech company versus you know a five hundred million dollar maybe, you know, real right. estate outfit or something. Sure, I personally feel like it's it's definitely going to change things. I I mm-hmm. just don't know if it's going to change as fast as people think. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't even want to mess with it at all, and it's just going to take time, but. I think the best thing about it is the complexity of the real estate sale. I think I'd done a little bit of an exercise one time and I said, how many people are in one transaction if you really look at selling an existing home, you know? I think it was like 17 or 18 people on one side of the deal and then and, and you double it. Oh, wow, yeah. If you look at everybody, right, from the surveyor up to the home inspector down to the, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like 18 on each side, like 32 people touch it that's crazy that's nuts right I looked at that I I was fascinated with that because I wanted to find inefficiencies in that process Mm -hmm. and I wanted to try to find a way to get back in the real estate industry and provide some value Mm -hmm. and that's really how I got into credit repair yeah I was going to ask kind of like jump forward in your story to today um, what has Open Door or anything like that like the change in real estate industry affected you you know I got into credit repair because I didn't want to be victim to something that I couldn't control as much as possible and develop my own product. Mm -hmm. That was the deal as a lender. You know, I was like, I was working for the lender. I sold the lender's loans and I was, the rate was the rate and I had to do what they did based on corporate policy. Whereas credit repair at the time I got into it about 2012 ish, Mm -hmm. uh, as a hundred percent credit repair operation, I've been doing credit repair since 2002, 2003, you know, to get loans closed. Sure. So, but 100% credit repair, 2012-ish. And so um, I felt like I could put my hands around the process of credit repair and bring it to realtors, bring it to builders, and bring it to mortgage professionals mm-hmm. in a different way that your big box credit repair companies do. Mm-hmm. And how is that? It's really more coaching, consultative-based, on top of sending out letters. At the end of the day, credit repair works like this. you got three bureaus, and then you got a you got a creditor. That creditor might be the original creditor or a collection company, mm-hmm. and they have to adhere to you know hundreds of different you know laws, mm-hmm. uh, Fair Debt Collection Practice Act, the HIPAA laws for medical. Um, everything is governed by the Fair Credit Reporting Act, mm-hmm. and so these laws are referenced in the letters that we mail out. Snail mail, old school mail. Mm-hmm. You can fax them, but you know, for the most part, it works best through the mail. Okay. Uh, through, to the three bureaus, to the creditor, and they have to validate the information and see that it's all done right. So it's not if the situation or the negative, unfair information happened. It's if they are following the guidelines of how they report on us. Mm-hmm. You know, just yesterday or just this week, I think yesterday, Equifax just settled a $700 million data breach. Mm. Jeez. They just did this, and they had a big news conference. But at the end of the day, these companies have to adhere to these laws, and if they don't, then they have to delete the item or update it. The other thing that credit card companies don't do that we do, so it's two services. 
The other thing they don't do, a lot of these big companies, they just want to send out letters, and some of them just do it electronically, uh -huh. which is terrible. You know, that's like a $3 car wash compared to like a full detail job. Sure. What we do is like a full detail job. So I tell people all the time, you know, what's the difference between what we do and, you know, what a big box square repair company does? Well, if you're going to sell your car or if you want to take your wife out on a date, you know, wouldn't you want it full detailed? Or you want to do it yourself, maybe, or you want to take it to the, the quick car wash. Now you probably want the whole thing. So that's what we do. We do the letters, handwrite them. But the thing that separates us and other good credit repair companies, like Texas Best Credit Repair, is that we coach the client on the decisions that they must make in order to rehabilitate and rebuild their credit. Because at the end of the day, you have this segment of the population that's told that, hey, deleting unfair negative items or negative items in general is the solution. But nobody ever got good credit by just deleting negative stuff. What it just does doesn't mean? work that way. What does that mean, deleting? Basically, the items are on file at the bureau level. Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion are the credit bureaus. Right. They're independent entities. They're not government entities. They sound like they are. They're just yeah. credit bureaus, right? Uh, and there's information on file which is used to calculate our credit scores. Uh -huh. And the credit scores are what gets you approved for a Vehicle, credit card, job clearance, homes, right. things like that. And typically what algorithms being used is FICO, Fair Isaac Corporation, is who these lenders go to to determine the risk. Okay. And that's where the credit score comes from. So they overlay the algorithm on top of the data at the bureaus. Mm -hmm. So the bureaus don't produce a score. Many people think they do because they get a letter in the mail that says bureau name and a score. So they use just simple reason that, oh, Equifax has a 617 on me. Yeah. No, they just have data on you. They're a repository of data. Okay. Think of it as like in the cloud. And then the scoring company, which is FICO, that's the one that really matters. The scoring company uses their algorithm to apply to the data at the bureau level, and then that's what computes a score. Uh -huh. And then these scores are purchased and utilized by lenders to assess risk to see if you're a good risk or not. Right. Or if you're a certain risk, they'll charge a certain interest rate, higher for higher risk, lower for lower risk. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to use it to hedge their bets, right? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And that's what they're doing. So educate me on this. I uh, am not in your world, but I've always looked at it like, hey, I got a bad credit score, then I just got to go pay off some debt. Right. Yeah. But then it lasts for. But then it stays on your credit for seven yeah, years. <laughs> you just got to wait it out. Yeah. What's, what are you What are you saying? What's you this? have to after, even if you pay it down, you have to. It's still on your credit as like a mark. Okay. For seven years. I guess depending on what it is. So That's the best I, way to explain this is it's like you know. I hate to use this example, but it's the best example. It's like a police report. Mm -hmm. And I'll use a traffic ticket, for instance. Okay. So, uh, you know, anytime you get pulled over in your hometown, it's logged by the cops and police. And then if you get pulled over again, they can see if they pulled you over and give you a warning or a ticket. Even though you paid that ticket, it's still on there. Sure. It's still on your police report. You're, you know, that's mm -hmm. what's on there. Yeah. Your license plate, your name. A credit report works the same way. Right. It's showing the history of how you manage these accounts. So if you have a negative account and it has, you know, five late payments or one, well, just because you paid it off, and even if it's still active, it's still going to show that history. Mm -hmm. So a collection accounts oftentimes work this way. The collection company has to adhere to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and they're, they're supposed to report accurate information. That's what they agree to in their code of ethics to report to TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. So just because you go and pay the collection account doesn't mean they're just going to say, oh, none of this stuff ever happened. Yeah. No, they'll update one part of the 
of the account, the balance that's owed, okay. and they'll change that to zero. Many people think that's good enough. Well, no, right. it's not good enough because what, what scores you is the negative entries on your credit and the type of account it is. For instance, if you have a medical debt that you paid down, it might show that you paid it, but it's still going to have a zero balance on a medical debt, and how, how recent that is will lower your score, generally about like 25 points per bureau. Now, if you have a credit card and that happened, you might lose 50 to 60. Right. Because credit cards are a huge determining factor yeah. on your credit scores. So people use us to challenge those items and either get settlements offered to them by the creditors, mm -hmm. like a reduced amount that they need to pay, like 60 to 70% off, or entirely deleted from the report due to a technicality. Mm -hmm. That's what I was looking for. Because yeah. my thing would be like, just pay it off and it takes time. But then what you're coming in and adding value is going and maybe fighting those things. And well, what, what we do, uh, we don't, the services that any good credit card company does doesn't change relationship of the consumer to the debt that's owed. So we always recommend ethical uh, remedies to these debts, such as negotiating with that creditor for a reduced settlement and hopefully a pay for deletion. And that's a process that you'd be helping them. Like, we coach them on that right. so we'll coach them on that and right. we say well why don't you just do it for them well there's some situations that the collection company won't talk to anybody but, but the, the consumer right yeah you know why would they want to talk to the consumer's attorney why would they want to talk to a credit repair company mm -hmm. you know they want to talk to that consumer because the consumer is going to be the most emotional about the decision sure. and that's who's going to write the check yeah so so every time i've in the past met somebody that's doing what you're doing yeah repair, they are like, i'm like this guy I don't know who this is. He doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing. You're, and I don't look for it all the time, but you're the first person that I've ever met that is very educated on this. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that is the norm? It's a rarity for someone like you to be in the business? Or was I just you know looking in the wrong places? I will tell you, with the people? people that I surround myself with, mm -hmm. uh, it is the norm for me. However, what I see in the industry is that a lot of people are poking out there. They're trying to get a second job to build up into their main job, and they're going to learn how to do credit repair, and they're going to learn from experience. And what do we all do with experience? We make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So they, if you have an inexperienced credit repair professional, they're going to make mistakes on your credit repair, and it's going to take longer to fix your credit, and you're going to not know that this happened. And you might still be happy that it only took two years to get your credit fixed yeah mm -hmm. but with us it's like an average of about six months okay nine months or a year somewhere in there it can be faster it's just dependent on the situation and what the client or the consumer is trying to achieve are they trying to buy a home are they trying to buy a core mm -hmm. you know some of these things the bigger the purchase the harder it typically is to help sure. but sometimes people just have a few little things and they need they need a pathway to know how to get the credit better and that's where our credit coaching comes in where we'll tell them hey listen we're going to work on these unfair negative items you know it's like a 60-day interval that they have to wait like every 60 days approximately in the meantime your your typical credit card company has nothing to offer them like besides a hey wait and see log into this portal we'll see if it's deleted or not you'll get some letters in the mail Day one with us, they get credit coaching. Like, hey, listen, you, you, you might want to think about putting this on a bullet list of settling. Mm -hmm. We've seen a bunch of times this doesn't settle. It's a credit card company. First Premier, you know, they're not going to just, you know, delete this thing, man. It's mm -hmm. not going to happen. We tell them the truth, you know, and the people that don't sign up, hey, say la vie, like we say in Louisiana, live and let live. Uh, we want a consumer that's going to be realistic about this. We want them to understand that they cannot separate themselves from their credit score, uh, you know, any more than life and death. Because even if you, you pass away, you're still going to have some credit scores associated with you. So it's that tied to your identity. Right. And so what we want to tell them is you have to work yourself out of this situation. Sure. You could go on, round and round and round with no plan. 
and we give people the game plan to, to fix the credit. So that's that's the big deal with us is we care enough about each person to tell them, like, listen, it's going to sound simple once we tell you what to do, brother, but you don't know what to do right now. And so that's one of the crazy things we experience. Like we tell them what to do. We give them, like, a five-bullet point list, and they're like, that's it? Mm-hmm. Well, you hadn't done it yet, and, uh, you know, you didn't know about this, you know? Right. And, and they're like, it's we, we make it simple for them. That's, sure. that, isn't that what you want? Yeah. And uh, not every company makes it simple. Uh, some companies, like the big box credit card companies, have a vested interest in, in elongating the process. Mm-hmm. The average enrollment time with those companies is like two years to three years. That's mm-hmm. 24 to 36 months. At 100 bucks a month, that's $2,400 to $3,600. Our average enrollment time is six months. And our average monthly fee is, you know, probably around 70 bucks, maybe $89. You know, I mean, huge difference there. So sure. difference. what about for, you know, I feel like a lot of people might come to you when they're when they have horrible credit or in a bad situation, what about people that have good credit and they just want to make it even better? Do you have clients like that? that? That's the best question I've gotten in a long time. And here's where that applies. I'm a mortgage licensed loan officer. I reestablished my license, you know, recently. And so everything I talk to people about in credit coaching is through the lens of, you know, what's the best way to put them in a position to get the best mortgage rates? Examples of this or they may qualify for an FHA first-time home buyer loan now at a 620. Mm-hmm. But man, if we make this tweak here and this tweak there and we get this thing deleted, they might be in 660 to 680 mid-scores, yeah. mm-hmm. which is a totally different loan with lower private mortgage insurance. At the end of the day, a lower monthly payment, right? So the rate on an FHA versus a conventional, it might look similar, right? Mm-hmm. Y'all have seen this, but the payment's super different because there's no funding fee associated with FHA. There's no high... Uh, PMI, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the better your credit score, the better the rate, the better the term. The term is the, the better the terms are really important. What are the terms? Money out of pocket mm-hmm. and your payment every month, you know? Mm-hmm. So That's a good point because, you know, I have a pretty good credit score, but I'm like, if I want to have a great credit score, I don't know how to do that. So I need to talk to an expert and figure out how to get to that next level. So many people come to us and they're like at a 680, right? Mm -hmm. And then they come to us and they're like, man, I got to get this $1 million home. I need to be at a 720 to get the best rate. Mm -hmm. And so basically... um, we coach them. They might only have one little blemish, if anything. It may just be structuring and managing their accounts better. Mm-hmm. Like debt utilization ratio is a term we use. It's the ratio of the limit on the credit card mm-hmm. to how much is the balance. Right. And those, many people don't understand, need to be 19% to 1% of the utilization to have the highest FICO credit scores. 19 to 1? 1%, 1% to 19%. Mm-hmm. Is there a sweet spot? I mean, that's a one to three percent, and that's referenced on myfico.com. So we deal all in the facts, and we uh, we just cut to the chase and tell everybody what the real deal is. That's cool. Sure. Yeah. That's coaching. Need, that's credit coaching. I need, I need to get working with you. Yeah. So I want to get it perfect. Hey, I love you because you know you understand the value of credit. Many times I'll get a call and they'll say, Hey, listen, I don't want to pay for that credit repair. Well, I guess you just want to pay the highest interest rates and the highest deals on every other thing you're spending. I mean, you're talking about thousands of dollars that you can save on getting a lower rate. Absolutely. Yeah. So you seem super educated on, you know, the business that you're in. What is, well, I mean, one, why you're doing it? Why are you doing it? Why do you enjoy it? And then two, what's like the, the big goal for you, the career goal for you? You know, I enjoy this because I see these big companies that are just in it for the money. Mm-hmm. 
and I like helping people and I feel like it gives me a way to differentiate myself from these larger companies mm -hmm. and there's just they'll never do it the bigger companies because it cuts at their bottom line we're in a position where we can't afford to provide the better service and have shorter uh, enrollment times uh, we, we uh, are able to make a good living that way a fair living and the reason why I'm in it is because I I think that Going forward, we have some exciting new features where we're going to blend technology uh, with uh, what the services we're doing and kind of put it in, in, in some exciting new accessible maybe phone apps or, or the, that type of technology where people can get even better services that aren't offered anywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we're local to Texas. You know, Texas Best Credit Repair is local to you know Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, and Austin. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have offices in those areas. And... I just feel like we care more about our clients than your normal credit repair company. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good credit repair companies out there, you know. Uh, I don't think that they come with the coaching that we do. Sure. And I don't think that they have a home path advantage program mm -hmm. like we do where we turn them over or refer them to trusted lenders, mm -hmm. trusted realtors, like tree homes, you know. And so it's like not everybody's doing that because it's just an underserviced industry. A lot of loan officers just want the approval and the commission and move on. Right. Yeah. Let somebody else figure out how to help those people. Sure. I'm just sitting here thinking, based on what I'm asking you, is like, I don't see anybody going around, and you might be doing this, I just haven't seen it, pitching like, hey, you got good credit score, but here's why we need to have great credit score. Mm -hmm. To me, it always seems like it, you're just focusing on people with bad. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's like a whole industry. I mean, I never even really thought about it until doing this like i totally should be working with you yeah i take out a lot of loans and it's extremely important so from qualified to well qualified is what you're talking about yeah right. as opposed to disqualified to, qualify. to qualified right, right? yeah and so the sweet spot in our business when we're you know um young wild and financially free yeah is to get these zero percent aprs on your auto loans like I got recently. Mm -hmm. It's taken me 20 years to get a 0% APR on an auto loan. Just by chance, because I like to stay in cars a while, but sure. I literally drive the car that I'm in now at 0% APR. Nissan Motor Acceptance is paying me to have my wife have a nice SUV. I think that's cool. That's now, awesome. other people can have that, right? But they tend to get into these 9, 10, 12 APRs. These, these right. are, whew, it turns a $20,000 car mm -hmm. into a $30,000 car payment mm -hmm. right yeah so Naughty. that makes a huge difference so well qualified that's where we all want to get to right yep so for sure um well sam i'm gonna wrap it up here thank you so much for coming on our podcast i really appreciate it i'm super excited for you and just to see the company continue to grow um i'm excited for us to work with you absolutely in the yeah. future um and like i said Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Sam. I'm right, excited. Man. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Yes, sir. Andrew. Yes, sir. Appreciate it.